we are back for a fifth time, ladies and gentlemen. That is right. Welcome back to the Robson Sportscast. I am your host, Alex Robson. However you're listening and wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode to get your weekly dosage of that good old-fashioned sports talk. And like always here on the Robson Sportscast, we got a lot of stuff to get into today. So let's go ahead and jump right into it, shall we? So, in the middle of recording last episode, which I hope you all enjoyed, I get a notification on my phone. I don't check it because I'm in the middle of talking, but right when I'm done talking, I look over, Cam Newton assigned to the New England Patriots. It never ends the pain of being a Jets fan. I mean, my God. Can we just get a damn break one time? Just once, please. Just one break. Got the Jamal Adams situation. I got Cam Newton, a Patriot. I mean, good Lord above. So it goes, though. I mean, so it goes. But anyway, so Cam Newton did sign a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. In Cam Newton's career so far, he has thrown 29,041 passing yards with 118 touchdowns, 108 picks, with a 59.6 completion percentage, and an 86.1 career passer rating. Add on to that, 4,806 rushing yards, 58 touchdowns. Statistically, Cam Newton's been solid. He has been solid. Those interception numbers are a little high. But 182 touchdowns plus those 58 rushing touchdowns, that's not bad. That's pretty solid. I want to talk about that MVP season. Carolina Panthers went 15-1 in 2015, went to the Super Bowl, got beat by the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning. Cam Newton had a phenomenal year. 3,837 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, 10 picks with a 99.4 passer rating and a 59.8 completion percentage. Add on to that, 636 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns. So safe to say, that was Cam at 100%. Cam Newton was dominant that season. Cam Newton was a lot like what Tim Tebow should have been. Tim Tebow is was never a great passer. I mean, even really in his Florida days, he didn't really have the best arm, but he had Urban Meyer's offensive game plan along with Dan Mullen as his offensive coordinator. So that's a pretty good offensive staff right there. But if Cam Newton's 100%, I'm just going to say this right now. And I know I talk highly of him a lot because I do like him. But if Cam Newton's 100%, give me Cam Newton over Jarrett Stidham 10 times out of 10. The roster the New England Patriots have right now is not Jarrett Stidham ready. I mean, best receiver is Julian Edelman, who's a slot guy. He's not a number one. You don't have a tight end, and your offensive line is solid. It's, it's a good offensive line, but not great. I like Jared Sidham, but this was not the year for him to make his first start. And I do honestly think, especially with a one-year deal in place, Jared Stidham's time can still come in New England. I think he still has a chance. And I do think he will compete for the starting job, but I think in the mind of Bill Belichick... You're tasking me to choose between a proven 
quarterback that when he's healthy, which we haven't seen really a lot of from Cam Newton in recent years, but a healthy Cam Newton versus a second-year quarterback in Jared Stone. But the roster they have offensively, give me Cam Newton 10 times out of 10. I, I, and I don't see Bill Belichick disagreeing with that. I mean, he's... Jared Stidham, I think, is, again, going to be good. I think he is the future of the Patriots, but this is just not the year. But like I mentioned, it's if he's 100%. And recently, we really haven't seen Cam at 100%. But when he's 100, he's dangerous. He really is. Cam Newton is dynamic. He's huge and he's dynamic. I mean, that's a combo you don't really get a lot. He's like, what, 6'5", 240? And he's got over 4,000 yards rushing throughout his career with 58 touchdowns. I mean, that's a big. he's a big dude, and he's athletic. I mean, that's a rare combo you don't get. You should either get one or the other. You either get a guy like Lamar Jackson, who's like 6'1", 6'2", or you get a guy like... I'm trying to think of a huge quarter. I guess, for example, in the NFL now, we'll use Ben Roethlisberger. He's a pretty big dude. Don't really have a lot of huge quarterbacks anymore. Guys that just tower over people. There's a guy for the Lions. They overpaid drastically for him, but I just can't remember his name. He was a huge dude, though. Um, It was before uh, Matt Stafford or Dan Orlovsky or anything like that. It was a while ago. But um, anyway... But I have to say something about this. When I saw that Cam Newton to the Patriots, I kind of raised an eyebrow to it. And I was like, how is that marriage going to work? That marriage being between Cam Newton and his new head coach and Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is a no-nonsense kind of guy. But I think he kept Tom Brady around for 20-plus years. Aside from allegations of cheating, which we can argue about if that's true or not. I have a little bit of bias in that because I'm a Jets fan. And honestly, it's a little bit of jealousy. But aside from allegations, where have there been issues with Tom Brady? Now you could, in, in the workplace with like some coat, some, he has had some fractures with Bill Belichick. I mean, he's had, he's had issues with guys. Sure. But has there ever been an issue off the field with Cam Newton? I mean, Tom Brady? No, there hasn't been. As much as I hate Tom Brady for how great he is, in the same breath, I love me some Tom Brady. Because he's the perfect professional quarterback. There's no issues with him. With Cam Newton, it seems to be nothing but issues. I mean, you got the injuries along with Cam Newton. Let's be honest, he's a diva. He's rocking all these weird-ass outfits, the weird hairdo, like... He's got a little bit of an attitude issue. Not a great one, but he's got a little bit of an issue with that. That dates back to his days where, believe it or not, he was actually at Florida. He's Tim Tebow's backup. Then he stole a laptop. (laughs) 
So a laptop was forced to transfer. Went to Auburn. I think he went to some community college after after Florida, but then went to Auburn, and we all know he won the Heisman, won a national championship, all that kind of stuff. What's the one thing that Bill Belichick does not tolerate? Divas. We've seen this story before. Patriots landing someone that has had issues in the past. They come to New England, everything's okay. Randy Moss is a guy that comes to mind. Randy Moss, he's got a swagger about him, you know what I mean? It's not really an attitude issue. Not like he's cursing out everybody or something like that. Randy Moss just has confidence in himself, and it showed a lot, especially during his days in Minnesota. But he comes to Minnesota, to, to New England. There's not a single issue. And he's still, is all, he's still the freak. So this could work out. And honestly, I do think it will. For how long, I don't know. This could help the Pats significantly if he's 100%. Because this brings a dynamic to their offense that they have not had in, I don't think, ever. Tom Brady's not an athletic guy in terms of mobility. That's exactly what Cam Newton is when he's 100%. He is a bulldozer. That's coming at you very fast. (laughs) That's a dynamic they didn't have with Brady. With Brady, the most you're going to get out of him is a quarterback sneak. With Cam Newton, you could get 20, 30-yard runs. And Cam Newton, and I'm not saying Tom Brady does not has not done this. We have seen this before, too. Chris Hogan's an end that comes to mind. But Cam Newton can take a lesser talent a little higher. That's something I don't think Jared Stidham can do yet. Jared Stidham is still raw. He needs to develop more. Well, Cam Newton is proven. Cam Newton has done it before. Jared Stidham has not. Jared Stidham needs time. So in my opinion, if Cam Newton comes to New England, he's 100% healthy, and he drops the diva like crap, like the outfits and a little bit of the attitude issue and all that kind of stuff, are still far away from being Super Bowl contenders again. But this does shift how I see the AFC playoff picture panning out. So with that being said, a couple weeks ago I did NFL, I've been doing NFL record predictions for the past couple weeks. A couple weeks ago I did the AFC East. I had the Patriots finishing an 8-8. Eight and eight. And this was assuming that Jarrett Stidham was going to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. We're going to flip that around now. We're going to do the New England Patriots again. But this time, Cam Newton's your starter. Not Jared Stidham. So here we go. Week one, they play Miami. I have nothing changing there. I had them winning with Stidham. I had them winning with Newton. Week two, same same scenario. They go to Seattle. I had them losing with Stidham. And now I have them still losing with Cam Newton. 
Now I think the game's going to be closer. But still, Seattle is... Uh, you all know what I think about Seattle. I got them at 12-4. and four. I have them winning the a- NFC West. I have them a Super Bowl contender. That's what I think about Seattle. So that's why I have New England still going into CenturyLink and losing. Now... Week 3, nothing changes. They play the Raiders. They get a win there. Week 4, nothing changes. They get a loss at Kansas City. Change here at week 5. Originally, I had them losing to Denver in New England, but now I have them winning that game. And that's not a knock against Denver. I still think they're going to be very, very good. But I'll take Cam Newton over a second-year Drew Locke, as much as I like Drew Locke. Week 6, they have a bye week. Week 7, they still lose to the 49ers in New England. Week 8, they get a win against Buffalo. I had that already. Now, week 9, I had them going to New York and losing to the Jets. Not with Cam Newton. Eh Uh-uh. So, Patriots get a win now against the Jets week 9, and the Jets get a loss. So, take the Jets from now 6-10 to 5-11. Week 10, they still lose to Baltimore. Week 11, they still win at Houston. Week 12, they still win at home against Arizona. Week 13, they still go to L.A. and lose to the Chargers. Week 14, they still beat the Rams in L.A. And week 15, they still... Yeah, they still lose to Miami. Goodness, I can't even read my own handwriting. (laughs) That shows how bad it is. And then they finish the season against Buffalo and New York, and they win both games. So originally, I had them at 8-8. That's second place in in the AFC East. With how I just did this again, I have the Patriots going 10-6. and six. And with how it shakes up, they now beat Buffalo twice. So that means I have the Patriots winning the AFC East. The Empire's still strong, my man. <laughs> and I hate to say that. I really, really do. It won't matter for my Jets, because I have them now finishing 5-11, still at the bottom of the AFC East. But the Patriots are making the playoffs, in my opinion, with Cam Newton. If, and only if, Cam Newton changes his attitude, changes his outfits... Please, for the love of God, do that. And adapts to the New England Patriots standard that has won them six Super Bowls. That's the only way this works out. Because if there's a single issue of him being a drama queen, you bet your ass Bill Belichick is going to cut him faster than anything. We saw it with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown had a little bit of an attitude issue. It was a bigger attitude issue when he was with the Raiders. My God, that was horrible. Never seen a man fall off the face of the earth sanity-wise that fast. But Antonio Brown gets to New England, just shows a little bit of that attitude issue. Like that, he's gone. That's how fast it'll happen. He played one week with New England, he was gone. That's how fast it will happen. Bill Belichick is a no-nonsense coach. 
And that's not going to change just because you're filling in the shoes of Tom Brady. So Cam Newton to the Patriots. I think it's going to be a good move. I think Cam Newton will have a good season. But there's big two big keys. He's got to stop the drama. And he has, has to stay healthy. If he does that, the crown of the AFC East is going nowhere but staying in New England. Let's move on to our next topic. It's back in the spotlight for episode five. Welcome to part four of Fake Out or Breakout. So last week I did, it was kind of a really heavy football episode looking back at it. I um, had scheduled predictions. I did the NFC West last week and this time, and I also did Fake Out or Breakout part three with wide receivers. Because I wanted to kind of to save that last little bit of the episode for The Undertaker when I did a little tribute to him. Um, I didn't really know what to do other other than fake out a breakout. So I chose to do that part three. But this time, we're going to get the schedule predictions a break. And we're going to go right into it. Part four. Here we go. Part four, fake out a breakout. We're looking at tight ends. One of the brightest stars from the 2019 season was Las Vegas Raiders tight end, then the Oakland Raiders, now Vegas Raiders, Darren Waller. 90 catches, 1,145 receiving yards, and three touchdowns. Now, Darren Waller is a great comeback story. Um, Some issues with some substance abuses almost ended his career in terms of suspensions, but he came back last season and he had a huge year really solidified himself as one of the tight end, best tight ends in football with how he had such a profound season. Now, a lot of now he was really the best receiver on that football team. Um, but now the Raiders are bringing in Henry Ruggs III, who is a speed demon. And a lot last season, especially near the end of it, they started focusing more on Darren Waller. But now that you got Ruggs, if you decide to do that, that's going to leave him more open, and he's more likely to burn you than a tight end. So some of the focus is going to fade away to Darren Waller, I mean to Henry Ruggs, and away from Darren Waller opening up his game. So I definitely could see the targets that he had, which was third most among tight ends at 117 targets. I could definitely see the targets going down, but I think the production stays the same. I think Darren Waller has finally arrived, and I think Darren Waller is going to be a breakout star in 2020. Next up is Tyler Higby of the Los Angeles Rams. 69 catches, 734 yards, and three touchdowns. Now, he began the season really, really, really quiet. Mainly because Geralt Everett, the guy that was above him at the tight end position, tore his ACL. And throughout the, I think it was week 12, he tore his ACL. But throughout that, Everett was the number one tight end. He tears his ACL. And comes Tyler Higby, and he has a pretty solid end of the year. But I have a little comparison here. So Everett's so before the Everett injury, Joe Everett had 
37 catches, 408 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. Tyler Higby had 26 catches, 212 receiving yards, and a touchdown. And Gerald Everett's back. He's 100% from what I'm hearing. You got competition now, Higby. I mean, you were behind this guy before the injury. Why would you not just go right back there? And also a guy that they the Rams drafted, which I really like. So they trade away Brandon Cooks to the Texans. Texans trying to fill the, the hole they dug themselves with with DeAndre Hopkins, which was the most the dumbest trade I've ever heard in my life. But anyway, they drafted Van Jefferson, wide receiver out of Florida, who I really, really like. Uh, he's a solid do-it-all receiver. He's got speed. He can catch the 50-50 balls. He's a great route runner. So I really think he's going to be able just to slide right in there. He's going to be a solid receiver in here in the NFL. So Tyler Higby, I see him as a fake out. I don't see him getting anywhere near the production he had last year. Next up is Mark Andrews, tight end of the Baltimore Ravens. 64 catches, 852 receiving yards, and 10 touchdowns. He's a beast. I really like Mark Andrews. Here's a little crazy thing. So Mark Andrews, 64 catches. That was number one on the Ravens. The wide receiving core for the Ravens, no one had over 50. The closest, I believe, was Hollywood Brown, but he played in 51%, only 51% of the snaps the Ravens took in 2019. For a future number one, that's not very good. Now Hayden Hurst, his only competition at tight end is now on Atlanta Falcon. And Lamar Jackson's only going to get better. As much as we want to deny it, as all the haters want to say he's a running back, he's not. He's a quarterback. He's just the future of the NFL in terms of having a mobile quarterback. He's only going to get better, and I got Mark Andrews as a breakout. I think he is going to one soon enough solidify himself as one of the league's premier tight ends. Moving on. <clears throat> Moving on to Mike Gesicki, the tight end for the Miami Dolphins. 51 catches, 570 receiving yards, and 5 touchdowns. Now, last season, he stepped up late. And that was with Ryan Fitzpatrick as his quarterback. Now, for a first little while, if you remember the schedule predictions I have for the AFC East, I have a very crucial thing happening during the Week 11 bye week. So the first 10 weeks is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick again. But that start of the season is going to be awful. So Week 11, it's going to be two a time, baby. They're going to put in two a tongue of a lawyer. And I think that's going to be one hell of a duo, too. I think a big trio that's going to be coming from the Tua Tungavaloya era coming up in Miami is Tua, Devontae Parker, and Mike Kosicki. Because Mike Kosicki, he is a great receiving tight end. Now, Preston Williams is back. They're undrafted free agent from last season. But, and that's really when Mike Kosicki's production started to go up, is when Preston Williams got hurt. But Mike Kosicki's a natural receiver. I mean, he's he's a great catcher. He's a great catcher of the football. So I think Mike Kosicki, a lot of people are saying he's not going to be that great next season. I disagree. I think Mike Kosicki is going to be a breakout star. He's going to show why he is going to be one of the elite tight ends in the league. Next up, Dallas Godert, the backup tight end. Well, not the backup. I mean, he plays a little bit of fullback, I believe, too. But he's the tight end for the Eagles. 
58 catch, 607 receiving yards, and five touchdowns. And in the offseason, he caught one mean left hook. <laughs> That's terrible. I, I'm sorry, but I, I just had to say it. I just had to say it. Um, now, Godert does everything well. Uh, he, like I mentioned, he plays a little bit of fullback. He's a great blocker. He's also a good receiver too. But a big thing that led to his production was the injury-plagued year the Philadelphia Eagles had. Carson Wentz was thrown to basically lawn chairs and old furniture throughout most of the season. Sean Jackson got hurt. Alshon Jeffrey got hurt. I mean, everyone left it. Even the replacements were getting hurt. That's not going to happen again. There's no way, unless the Lombardi Trophy hanging out in their front office has some sort of voodoo curse on it, there is no way in the world that happens again. And a guy that I think is honestly underrated is Zach Ertz. He's been the best receiver on the Philadelphia Eagles for the past four seasons. But he gets overshadowed by guys like George Kittle. There's guys like, now George Kittle's awesome. Don't get me wrong on that. I love me some George Kittle. But Zach Ertz, in my opinion, is top two. Maybe even, maybe top three. But I think he's number two, in my opinion. I think he's probably the second best tight end behind Kittle in the NFL just because of how consistent he is. And with that being said, I think he's still going to do well, Dallas Gobert. But I just don't see him having the same level of production he did last season due to everyone hopefully coming back healthy in Philadelphia. So I definitely see Dallas Gobert as a fake out. Now, as per usual, I have a couple guys that well, really, for this one, it's just one. I usually have one or two guys that I think are flying under the radar a little bit. A guy I like is a tight end for the Jets, Chris Herndon. He was a second-round pick, I believe, out of Miami two years ago. Same draft as Sam Darnold. And he's solid. I like Chris Herndon. He has a little bit of everything. He can improve blocking-wise, but he is a great receiving tight end. And he was hurt about 99.9% of last season. He had one catch for seven yards last year during the regular season. He played a little bit preseason. But when he was healthy the season before his rookie year, he was undoubtedly Sam Darnold's go-to guy. And he found him often, and they scored a lot of touchdowns that duo. But I think Sam, that's going to be part of sort of the the statistical improvement from the Jets next season. When they get Chris Herndon back, I think he's going to have a solid year next year. Maybe not an elite year, but a solid year nonetheless. Well, that was Fake Out or Breakout Part 4. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. We are officially in the month of July. As you are listening to this on this fine Monday, it is July 6th. Most lives getting back to normal after we just had a holiday weekend. Hope you all had a great 4th of July, by the way. Hope you all had a great time with your family and friends. I personally did not do really anything. Had some, had some wieners, but other than that, nothing really. Um, but as we tick through the days in July, we get closer to the return of live sports. The MLB is coming back here in the month of July. The NBA is coming back at the end of July. And I'm excited for it. Trust me, I am really, really, really excited for it. 
But as I was sitting there, sitting in front of my TV, watching some old basketball reruns, I got to thinking about the whole format they're using in Orlando and all that kind of stuff. Who are some teams that I haven't heard a lot about? Who are some sleepers? Because I love a good sleeper story. Uh, I love a good underdog story. That's why I love March Madness so much. I adore when a team no one even has really even talked about just comes out there firing and makes noise. Believe it or not, when Loyola Chicago made it all the way up, leaped to the Final Four or the Elite Eight, one of the two, I had that. Believe it or not, uh, I, I have to find my old bracket. I have that saved somewhere. I have to find that thing and post it on the on the Instagram at the Robson Sportcast if you're not following it. But I have to find that because I, I trust me, I have that. I had that, and I'm so proud of myself. That was one of the. That's definitely one of my shining moments in sports, having Layla Chicago go as far as they did and actually have it happen. But anyway, so I looked through the teams that are going to Orlando, and I looked through all of them. And I've comprised a small little list of teams that you definitely should be thinking about when the NBA comes back that can make a run. So here we go. The NBA's biggest sleeper teams for its return when it comes back. Number one, I have the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I am a huge, 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 huge. Have I said huge enough? Yeah, I think I have. Huge fan of the Luka Porzingis duo. I mean, this duo itself combines for 47.9 points per game and 18.8 rebounds per game. Lord above. (laughs) I mean, two guys, you're already halfway to the century mark and in a good position to win the rebound game. That's pretty good. Luke and they complement each other so well. Luca is a elite scorer. He can score from anywhere on the court. He has a good defensive game and he's a great playmaker. Porzingis is a do-it-all stretch five that can put the ball in the hole from three-point land, but also protects the rim. They complement each other well. And just in general, the Mavs are a good defensive squad. Everyone on that team knows how to defend. And in my opinion, even ignoring the COVID stuff, even if the NBA went on as perfectly normal, which I really wish it did, but we can't control what happens, I would still have the Dallas Mavericks as my number one sleeper team because I think if any team with the weapons they have on it has a chance to upend some of the higher seeds in the the game, in the West, especially, especially, like the Nuggets, the Lakers even. The Jazz who are up there. They're higher than the Mavericks, I believe. I think they got a great chance to upend any of those teams. COVID or no COVID. So really, watch out for the Mavs. Because they can make a lot of noise. Come when the season returns and gets into the postseason. The team from the East I'm a fan of is the Miami Heat. Um, I didn't always used to be a huge fan of him. But I love me some Jimmy Butler now. Because he can do everything and does it all well. 20 points per game, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists per game. He is a do-it-all guy, and he just seems like a fun guy. I've seen a lot of videos of him 
out in the world and how he just reacts to stuff. Like, he just seems like a fun guy to be around. Um, he wasn't always that way, which is kind of why I had a little bit of an issue with him. But now he just seems like a really fun guy. Um, another guy I really like on the team is Tyler Hero. He's a walking bucket. Um, uh, 41.4 field goal percentage and 39.1 field goal percentage from three. Kind of average field goal percentage-wise, but... When Tyler Hero gets hot, there's no stopping him. I mean, this dude will pull up from half court and make it. When he gets hot, he don't miss, which is quite impressive to watch. That's why I love me some Tyler Hero. Another guy I really like, and I'll be honest, I didn't really think much of him when he came into the league, was Bam Adebayo. Um, I can mention, I didn't really think much of him. But after the Heat traded away Hassan Whiteside to the Blazers, he filled the hole immediately. He's really solidified himself as one of the elite rim protectors in the NBA. Averages a block, 1.3 blocks per game. And I really, really like Bam Adebayo. He's a great defender. I'm a, I'm a sucker for great defenders, if you can't tell. I've talked about defense a lot already. Um, but yeah, that trio at Miami, I think, has a really good chance to take down a lot of the teams in the East. In my opinion, it's a three-team race in the East. It's the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Heat. Um Personally, I had the Heat making it out of the East. Um, I think the Heat had the be- or in best position to get there. So I like the Miami Heat as a sleeper team. Not only in the East, but they can make a lot of noise, possibly, beyond the East. Another team I really like now, and especially in the future, is the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, so I saw a picture recently. I believe SportsCenter posted it. It was a picture of Zion Williamson working out in the gym. Um, I think it was the Pelicans' gym. He had a mask on, all that kind of stuff. Really didn't see his whole body, but you just saw like his upper body, like his shoulders, a little bit of his pecs, like his sort of pectoral area. He had an overshirt on, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but um, he looked massive and in a good way. My position on Zion has always been 50-50. Um, I really like him. He's a beast. I mean, he's strong. He's athletic. He's got some shooting ability. But my knock always on him has been his weight. He's six foot seven, weighs over 280 pounds. Maybe over 270. And maybe give him added on a few extra. But I always thought that he needed to lose weight for the kind of player he is. Because at his size, he puts a lot of pressure on those knees. And those are the biggest, most essential part of his game with his athletic style of play and his brute strength. If he blew out, blows out a knee at the weight we last saw him at, he's done. A guy I kind of compare him to is Zach Levine. Now, they're not the same player, but Zach Levine... When he first came into the league with the with the Timberwolves, he was an athletic freak. And when he tore his ACL, a lot of people kind of written him off like, oh, he's done. I didn't think that. Because already in place, he didn't showcase it a lot because he was more known for his athletic dunks. But Levine was always a good shooter. But when he tore that knee... He had to get in the gym and work on his shot because athleticism isn't going to be the same. And now he's formed himself into a phenomenal shooter. And in my opinion, one of the NBA's brightest future stars. He just needs to get the hell out of Chicago. That's a mess 
Not as much as, like, the Knicks or anything like that, but the Bulls are not in a good position right now at all. Um, but for Zion, it's completely different because he's not a good shooter. I mean, he's decent, but he's not a good shooter. That's not his game. So if he tears an ACL, he's done. Write him off. He's gone. Because that's his entire game. Poof. Vanished. See you now. Sayonara. See ya. So I always thought that if he loses the weight he needs to, gets to a health, to a weight that is good on his knees, he's going to be a phenom. And it looks like from that picture, again, I only saw his upper body. It looks like he did that. He looks, looks like a beast. 21.6 points per game. 6.8 rebounds. He's just a freak. I really like Zion Williamson if he does what he needs to do to stay healthy. Another guy I really like is Brandon Ingram. I always kind of like Brandon Ingram. Um, he was just in a messy situation at the time in L.A. with the Lakers. Um, you had the D'Angelo Russell issue. You had LeVar Ball being a nut job. I mean, it was a mess at the time when he was in L.A. But he gets traded to New Orleans as part of the Anthony Davis deal. And he's found a home, in my opinion. 24.2 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, and 4.3 assists. He is going to be a star in this league. I really like Brandon Ingram because he can put the ball in the hole from anywhere on the court. He's a solid defender. He can distribute the rock when needed. He does everything. And he's just a long, athletic guy, too. Now, a guy I really like, but a lot of people write off, and I understand why, is is Lonzo Ball. Not a fan of his dad, not a fan of any of his brothers, but I like Lonzo. Before I go talking about Lonzo Ball, I will say I never thought that he was worth the second overall pick in the draft. I never thought that. But I always liked him for the reason no one talked about. Because it seems in the league now when he talks to the kids nowadays, I guess the cool kids now, if you're not averaging over 25 a game, you're not elite. And Lonzo only averages 12.4 points per game. But that never has been and never will be his game. He's not an elite scorer. We've seen his jump shot. And as although it's pretty pretty much, pretty far ahead from what it used to be, it's not that great of a jump. But he averages 6.2 rebounds and 7 assists. Lonzo Ball was never an elite scorer. He's a playmaker. He's a facilitator. I have 100% trust. If if I was the coach of a team, I would without a doubt put Alonzo Ball in there and have 100% faith in him to run my offense. He does everything right. He's a great playmaker. And when he needs to, we've seen it before, he can put, put, put the ball in the net. He can do it. It's just not his number one game. His number one game is set up my teammates. And that's why I like this trio of Zion, Brandon Ingram, and Lonzo Ball. If that core stays together in New Orleans, they could be super special, in my opinion. That's a championship roster right there, in my opinion. That's a championship big three. I really like it, dude. I really like the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, I've listed three sleepers. I want to list one team that I do not want to warn you to get away from. That's the Houston Rockets. Russell Westbrook and James Harden. From the minute I heard about the Russell Russell Westbrook trade, I said Russell Wilson for some reason. 
But the minute I heard about that trade, I immediately ripped the Rockets off. They'd be good in the regular season, but not in the postseason. Westbrook and Harden are too selfish to allow one or the, the allow the other to run the show. I saw a hilarious video a couple days ago. Uh, it was a video of 2K. It was like last seconds of a game of game of 2K, and <laughs> and they needed a three to win. I think it was they needed a bucket to win, and <laughs> Harden pulls up for the three, but out of nowhere, Russell Westbrook comes and blocks the shot, and then goes in and dunks it. But as funny as that is, that's kind of true in a way. These guys are just, this duo is is combustible. I mean, it's just, Harden is 40, 40, 45 shots a game. Russell Westbrook is stat pad. I mean, I just don't see them, either of them, together or apart, winning a championship just because of the style of people there. And that's not a knock. I mean, if, if you were to sit me down, I can only watch three players in the league, Harden and Westbrook will probably be up there. But honestly, if there's a team that could be a first-round exit, that's the Rockets. I just don't see Westbrook or Harden just working together. I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong about either of them winning a championship because they deserve a championship. I like them both. But I just don't see it for the kind of guys they are. And that is my list of NBA sleepers. And I added a little team that you should stay away from. Now, before I sign off, I want to apologize. The past two episodes, I said I've been uploading a link that has a questionnaire on it. That you could go in, record yourself talking, and I'd answer your questions. I've done that the past two weeks, and I've forgotten both times. I feel terrible for it, trust me. But this time, I'm going to do it. The episodes of the Robson Sports Cash go up at noon. Noon Eastern Standard Time. Around then, I'm going to set a, a reminder on my phone. You know what? Hey, we're gonna, you're all going to listen Listen to me do this. You're all going to listen to me do this. Right, give me one sec. Give me one sec. Give me one sec. All right, here we go. Set a reminder at 12 p.m. tomorrow to upload link. Did you mean July 6th, Monday, or July 7th, Tuesday? July 6th, Monday. Okay, added. Boom, there we go. Got it. Yeah, as I'm recording this right now, it's about midnight where I'm from. So, that's why I'd ask that question. But there you go, I've said it. So, I'm gonna do that. I have to, um, so I'll upload that link. I'll uh, do it on my personal Facebook page, um, you can find me, Alex Robson. You can add me, but doesn't mean I'm gonna talk to you. <laughs> but um, it'll also be on the Instagram at the Robson Sportscast. Um, please check it out. Um, so I'll probably be doing that next week, and possibly I'm gonna talk to some of my other podcast guys. But I may even have an interview set up. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But anyway, we're gonna go ahead and go ahead and log out for the night. It's late. I'm tired. Shockingly. Usually this is about when I'm at my most peppy, but for some reason I'm really tired tonight. But uh, anyway, I'll be sure to upload that link. Be on the lookout for that. Thank you for tuning in. This is your man, Alex Robson, signing off.